Lent Podcast. My name is Tyler Bubbles, and welcome back to the sixth Sunday in Lent for the Liturgy of the Palms or the Liturgy of the Passion Sunday for the week of April 2nd, 2023. And I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig into this week's podcast. And I'm excited because this, I think, is one of the most complicated and most jarring Sundays in the liturgy. Because you have the celebration of Christ entering into Jerusalem, but also having to touch the passion of Christ, because we don't necessarily always have people going to Monday, Thursday, Good Friday services and Holy Saturday, this idea of how we need to kind of touch all of this, understanding the passion, and it's a jarring service. It's one of these that it's interesting because you typically will enter and begin the service with celebration, and yet we're at the end of the service being told the passion story and this recognition of how it went from a celebration to death within a week. And again, when we're dealing with this last Sunday in Lent, there is just a lot of emotions and feelings, and that's a lot of what Holy Week, as we enter into it beginning on Palm Sunday, makes all of this complicated, makes all of this confusing, makes all of this difficult to be able to wrestle with and deal with. And I think it's a hard time to look at that. And I think in a lot of ways, it makes life feel relatable. It makes life feel tolerable in certain ways because it's this story, this text that feels like something we're very accustomed to. The complexities, the intricacies, the betrayal of Judas even, how it is elaborated And yet you could also argue, was Judas trying to protect Jesus? We've talked about that in years previous. And I think that is part of what this whole thing is all about, is trying to unravel something that is so human in so many ways, but yet so difficult to process. But before we get into this week, we have to look at last week's question, which was, when has there been a time that God's timing and your timing didn't line up? And looking back, you see that God's timing was better. And one of the responses that I got back this week was looking at how this person kind of fell into where they're working and how they got into the field in which they're in. And I look at even my story within my short career, it's very similar. There's a lot of things where the timing and trying to figure out who I am and trying to figure out how everything all worked was difficult. And I think that's something that's very relatable within our modern context, especially within younger people within the church. This idea of the complexities of life and trying to figure out where you're going and trying to figure out life. I think I've mentioned it here on the podcast before, but one of the best pieces of advice that I've ever gotten was from a friend from college. Shout out to Krista Schroeder as she talked about, no one talks about how difficult your 20s are. There's a lot of trying to figure out who you are. And that's very complicated and hard to understand. And I think a lot of times in life, as we get older, it becomes easier to some extent, but there's always parts of us that we're still trying to explore and understand. And I think that's what makes all of life so difficult. And so 
understanding that in that, that God is trying to work within that and how we're seeing things and how God's seeing things aren't always the same and how God is just trying to work with that, I think is a very powerful thing and also recognizing that God is working. But like I stated up front, there is a lot of text to cover and a lot of ground to cover. So let's start with the Liturgy of the Palms, which is a psalm and a gospel text. So let's just jump right into it. The psalm then for the Liturgy of the Palms is Psalm 118, verses 1 and 2, and then 19 through 29. As you would imagine, this is a celebration psalm. This is a psalm of recognizing what God is doing is amazing and how Jesus being the stone that the builders rejected, becoming the chief cornerstone, that the Lord is saving us. There is praise and celebration all over this psalm, which flows beautifully then into the gospel text for this. The gospel text then for Palm Sunday is from Matthew chapter 21, the first 11 verses. This is Jesus entering the back gate of Jerusalem. He sends his disciples out ahead of him to go and get a donkey. He tells them how it's going to be to fulfill prophecy. There's this donkey that is there, a colt that he's able to ride in. They spread cloaks on the colt for him to ride in. This is also the gospel where there is both cloaks and and palms that are placed on the ground. And when people are asking who this is, the crowds proclaim, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. As we then transition into the liturgy of the Passion, the Old Testament reading is from Isaiah chapter 50, starting at verse 4 to 9a. This is the recognition then of how difficult it can be to be a teacher. So you have these difficult messages that need to be proclaimed that people aren't necessarily wanting to hear. I give back those who struck me and my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from insults and spitting. The Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I will set my face like flint. I know that I shall not be put to shame. Verses 6 and 7. This idea of what God is calling me to do and what the world is telling me and how they might be interpreting things might not always line up and the difficult task of what that might be. And I think this will play into a little bit of where we're going this week. The psalm this week is out of Psalm 31 verses 9 to 16. This is a lament. This is a psalm of how the soul yearns for the Lord, but also this person feels distress, scorn, how it just feels of the psalmist just being beaten up, the psalmist just being knocked down time and time and time again, feeling like a broken vessel and yet still crying to God and expecting for something to show up, knowing that God will still deliver because of the steadfast love that God has for us, but yet still feeling like, oh my goodness, am I enough? The New Testament text then is from Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 5 through verse 11. And this is then this text of trying to set our mind like Christ and recognizing what Christ did for us, that Christ was so obedient to listening to what God was telling Jesus to do that 
to the point of death, death on a cross, a crucifixion, a death that is something the Romans wouldn't even go through. It was too horrendous for this to happen. And that in doing this, that the name of Jesus then should be lifted up, that this is a powerful name, that this is something that should be glorified. The gospel text this week can be read in two ways, either Matthew 26, starting at verse 14 to chapter 27, the whole chapter to verse 66, or it can be Matthew 27 verses 11 through 54. But this is walking you through the whole crucifixion story. And how Jesus is with his disciples, they have the Passover meal in the upper room and he prepares it for them. And that's where you kind of get what would be traditionally looked at as a Monday Thursday service and giving them the communion for the first time. This is also where he's foretelling that someone is going to betray him. People are saying, not I, not I, not I. Of course, then Judas slips out eventually. Peter also kind of makes his statement, and Jesus makes the statement, not only will you deny me, but you will deny me three times before the cock crows. They go to Gethsemane to pray. He takes Peter, James, and John with him, and they tell him to try to stay awake and pray. And Jesus has this line coming from chapter 26, verse 39. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass before me, yet not what I want, but what you want. So this idea of you seeing the humanity of Jesus, of how Jesus does not want this, but recognizing if it's God's will, then this is what needs to be done. Of course, the disciples can't stay awake. They're very tired. Judas then does betray them for silver. Judas arrives. They arrest him. You get the whole scene of how Pontius Pilate really doesn't want anything to do with him and kind of is going back and forth on who is going to deal with this, the high priest Cephas. And he doesn't really want anything to do with this. Pilate doesn't really want anything to do with this. So he goes out and kind of asks for, what did this man do? He blasphemed, they've spitting on him. And then he gets to the point of, okay, as a Jewish culture, you typically release someone. Would this be the person they want? They say, no, we want Jesus Barabbas that's set free, which again is something they're kind of relating all the way back in Leviticus of the lamb being set free. And they're asking, what do you want of this man? They want him crucified. You get also the story of how Peter then is betraying Jesus by saying that he doesn't know who this person is. And of course, then the cock crows after denying three times. You have this whole part of Jesus then bringing the cross to Golgotha to be hung on the tree. And again, the whole scene of how he's asking for sour wine and and all of this and to the point of crucifixion. It is very difficult to summarize basically two chapters of Matthew here. And it's worth a read. But it's also then this recognition By the end, Jesus is crucified. He is taken down with Joseph of Arimathea, putting him into a brand new tomb, racked in cloths. Pilate gets advised to have Roman soldiers to guard the tomb to make sure there aren't robbers to claim this guy has already caused enough havoc within society. Let's not have another one by saying he suddenly rose from the dead. Let's make sure that the body isn't stolen. So that's the basic outline of this Really complicated 
And like I've stated before, I think on a lot of these like bigger texts, it's worth going through and even looking back at some of the different things that I've talked about before. I know in years past, I've also looked at different PBS specials where they've talked about potentially how Judas was potentially trying to save Jesus. And there's some interesting things of that nature. But before we jump into how faith and science come together this week, after this mammoth of a text week, I think we need to do our shameless plug. Oh! The Green Blades Preaching Roundtable and the Green Blades Rising Publications. They're either a weekly reflection or a monthly newsletter, which help you give some ecological echoes, implications, urgencies about preaching the lectionary each week. Also giving you some ideas of what is going on within the environment and ecological spheres for the upper Midwest and beyond. The links will be in the show description, as always, sending the ecofaith at nemnsynod.org to get these different texts and tell them if you want the monthly newsletter, the weekly reflection, or both. I personally get both of these, and I'd highly recommend it. It is a great publication. I'd also highly recommend checking out Working Preacher. If you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it to you in their Sermon Brainways podcasts or commentaries discussions. Since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis to help give some direction for this podcast. There's a lot of great resources over there, especially centered around Holy Week. So if you haven't checked out workingpreacher.org, I'd highly recommend it. And the final one that I always plug is... The Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library, I highly recommend it not only on how they lay out the text and having all these different liturgical holidays there, but the hymns, the prayers, and the artwork makes it so applicable and makes it easier to understand and see how different people are interpreting these things. So if you haven't checked out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library, I'd highly recommend that also. I think when we're looking at this week, we have to look at it from the week context where we have Jesus coming and being honored on the way in to the point that by the end of the week, he is crucified. The crowds have turned on Jesus. The Romans and the Pharisees see this man as a threat and have figured out how to turn the tide. You have Judas potentially trying to save Jesus and ends up accidentally crucifying him, which then leads to his suicide. You have Peter one of the great disciples, saying, there's no way I'll ever betray you, and betrays Jesus multiple times before the cock crows and disappears. The disappearing of the disciples, just not wanting to be seen, being wary of being associated with this man, suddenly going from this crowd of many to a singular person being crucified. And at this moment where we hang in the gospel, this recognition on is everything that we've experienced dead is very real in this moment. And I think within our own lives, maybe not quite to the same extent, but in certain ways, yes, we've seen this before and we see this even in the semi-recent past. But I think also recognizing that we are actually, in my opinion, in the middle of another one of these, believe it or not. So let me explain and let's jump into it. Within the tech sphere, there is a day that has happened within the last 20 years that is seen as a day that changed history. And at the moment, we maybe didn't fully recognize what it was, didn't recognize how revolutionary it was. In fact, it was even mocked by some, and that was the introduction of the iPhone on January 9th, 2007. Steve Jobs gets up on stage and announces what this is going to look like. A widescreen iPod 
a phone, and an internet-connected device all in one. And being on this side, being 20 years nearly, 15 plus years back, we can see the impact of what that has done. It's the recognition of Jobs had created with the Apple team a device that moved us forward into a touchscreen interface, getting rid of buttons on the bottom of phones, and it was the beginning of the end of the BlackBerry, for those who are older listeners who remember that device, into touchscreen phones. This revolutionized having phones in our pocket. It recognized the revolution in how social media works as apps became integrated to these devices that recognized that we were now going to carry them around with us every day. It was the first modern cell phone. It was the beginning of having a camera on you at all times. Even though it was just a two megapixel rear camera that had no video, no telephoto, no macro or wide angle lenses. But it was the beginning of having something with us all the time. This was a revolutionary device. And within many people within the tech sphere, it's a moment that they talk about how it changed everything. It was praised and lauded as being so innovative. Even though there were people who said they overpriced it, there's no way that people are going to pay $500 for a phone. Looking back now, we recognize how wrong some of these comments are. And if you listen back to the keynote, and I'll even drop a section of it where it's recognizing this, the utter amazement and awe and genuine excitement that the audience has when this device is announced is palpable. It's amazing. Contrast that to today, you don't get those when you get these tech announcements. There's been so many leaks that a lot of times the design and general shape and a lot of the new features have at least been leaked And there's been discussions and rumors about some of these different devices and what they genuinely look like and what the ideas are. Not all of them necessarily always happen, but most of them, at least the main ideas and big features have at least been leaked somewhere. So if you're wanting to look for them, you find them. And so when people are sitting at these different keynotes or watching it online, there isn't the surprise. There isn't the genuine amazement. And in fact, you have people listening to keynotes and then immediately being able to make videos on how different tech companies either hit or failed with their keynote within hours of the presentation going live. And the device that they may be announcing might not even physically be in their hands or they got a first look at it and they're saying, here are some of the things that are great and not great with my few hours of handling a device or less. How different that is compared to the initial reaction of how amazing this was when first announced in 2007. We've gotten so accustomed to it, we take advantage of it, and we're not even recognizing the amazement of it to the point where we can immediately criticize it and say they could have done better or they're holding back or there's things that they could do better or this brand does this better than this and thus this phone stinks. It's frustrating. And I wonder, especially within the last week, how the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change has released its final summary. And again, as we've talked about multiple times, as the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change has released multiple times before, the data doesn't look good. It looks rough. As we're trying to see that we are already at 1.1 degrees centigrade of increase on the temperature, and in order for us to keep it under 1.5, which would drastically destabilize if we go above ecosystems and the world in which we've known. 
And the IPCC then calls out these governments on, you have the technology, then do it. We have the ability to be able to prevent this from getting above the 1.5 threshold if we have the desire enough to actually do it. And in the report, they actually do stabilize as they're summarizing all their different reports here that progress has been made, but not enough has been made. That we have the ability to be able to do this, but will we? And I think this kind of gets back to kind of what we recognize here with Holy Week. Jesus gets welcomed in like a king, even though it was at the back gate, by a crowd of at least some, recognizing that this prophet and what he's been doing is absolutely amazing. This, to me, is like what our nature is like, the world is like, and when we really take a step back and look at the abundance and beauty of this place, how fascinated we constantly are with it, and how many documentaries have been about us exploring and seeing this place and recognizing how amazing it actually is. And now we recognize how amazing it is, but yet we're so comfortable with it that when people are saying we're potentially losing it, we're potentially adding more and more fuel to severe storms, which would drastically increase the rate and the strength of storms. When we're looking at the potential of having changing of ecosystems and changing of things and how we understand it. And we recognize, as we talked about last week, on how things do change over time. But this change now is happening faster than what would normally happen. And that more and more scientists are claiming and showing statistics that, yes, this is human caused. And yet we have leaders and, heck, sometimes even our own selves deny it don't want to acknowledge what that means and how that might affect our day-to-day lives, the inconvenience of what this might mean. But then are we not recognizing what the end conclusion is? If we look at the end of these gospel texts, when you have the curtain gets torn in two and you start having citizens saying, truly this was the Son of Man, chapter 27, verse 54, Well, when the curtain and those with him who were keeping watch over Jesus saw an earthquake take place, they were terrified and said, truly, this was the son of man. This is after Jesus had breathed his last, that he commended the spirit to God and the separation of God for the first time ever. And the parts that I think many of us wrestle with fully understanding the Trinity and much less this part where God cannot experience sin, but separating oneself to take that on for us. I think when we're looking at the environment, it's really easy now to see how we've gotten so accustomed to it being there and supporting us. And this is the cycles and yeah, things are changing, but it's too inconvenient for me to change things up. Just like how we've gotten accustomed to phones constantly getting better, technology constantly getting better, and we fail to recognize the actual advancements that we've gone through and how far we've actually come. It's quite amazing when we really think about it, but we don't ever talk about that. We're talking about what it did or didn't include, how this either is awesome or this sucks. Yeah, this isn't worth the upgrade. Skip it. This phone isn't really that amazing. Get a different phone. The inconvenience for me to change for what I'm doing, is it really going to affect the environment really that much? I think this is a moment where we need to recognize, especially within the Christian community, we know, we read about what this did. We read about that, yes, Christ did this for us, but boy, wouldn't it have been nice if humanity hadn't had to get to this point, that we would have to be separate from God. If we had just followed directions initially, 
Or heck, if we had understood what Jesus was talking about, even after we had failed directions how many times throughout Scripture, throughout the history, especially in the Old Testament, but even in the New Testament, in the Gospels, how often we just don't get it. Is that not what we're kind of going through right now? We just don't get it. We haven't figured out another place to live. And we're potentially changing things to the point where the world will literally be different than anything we've ever experienced in human history. There is no book. And we talk about how hard the pandemic was because there was no playbook on how to live out a pandemic. Do you think it's going to be any easier when suddenly the whole ecosystem doesn't have a playbook and we can't judge things because there isn't seasonal things anymore. That went out the window. We blew it. We changed it. Do we not understand what this means? Do we not recognize the value of the place in which we're in? Do we not recognize the value of God's creation? Of course we don't. We couldn't recognize the value of his own son being with us. We got to the point of putting him on a cross. Not just because of our sin, but also we couldn't understand what Jesus was talking about. That we as humans can welcome him in one week and kill him within five days. Did we not learn from this? Do we not look at our world and recognize how privileged we are as a human race, especially as a first world nation? Because we're the ones to blame for this environmental climate. We're the ones who invent the stuff that causing all this. And yes, you can argue some of these third world countries are burning things. Who invented and produced the stuff that they're burning? We did. It's our fault. Can we not look ourselves in the mirror? Do we not recognize the song, were you there when they crucified my Lord? And recognizing that we were the ones who put him there? We were the ones that turned? And when we're doing the same thing again to our own environment, and we can't recognize that? How many warning signs do we need? Because the IPCC and the scientists who are working on that have now stated this is the final warning. There is still a window that we can get through and it's going to be hard, but we have the ability to do it. We have to have the desire to do it. Do we? Or are we going to become accustomed to something and then until we recognize we can't do it that way anymore? Are we just going to sit there and be like, oh, This amazing phone that is able to produce things that 15 years ago we couldn't imagine is trash. It's not worth it. And sorry, younger listeners, there's things where spend some time and actually look back at how far tech has come in the last 15 years. Before you start saying something is trash, recognize how far we've advanced with these pocket computers. How far we've advanced in computing technology in the last 15 years is mind-boggling. And that should be something of hope to inspire us to move forward, to be able to do what we need to do for this environment. We can do this, but it takes all of us working together. It takes all of us pushing leaders and all of us making sacrifices. It takes all of us to recognize we need to change things in order for this to happen. Do we recognize this? I don't think so. Current projections are is that by the early 2030s, we are going to hit the 1.5 degree centigrade temperature raise. And then we enter a whole new world that we've never experienced before. And we don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know what this world is going to look like. As I've sat behind this microphone, if I'm remembering right, this is the 274th consecutive week. We have talked about this how many times? 
We've talked about species disappearing. We've talked about the environmental crisis how many times? Are we actually going to take it serious? The question I have for you this week is, did we actually learn from the crucifixion of Christ? Or are we going to do it again with the environment? Did we actually learn from the crucifixion of Christ? Or are we going to do it again with the environment? I think that's where the stake really is. And it's so easy for us to say, well, I wouldn't have denied Jesus. I wouldn't have been part of the crowd saying crucify him. Well, are you in the camp that's actually making an active change? Are you living your life in such a different way that your environmental impact is noticeably different than everybody else? That people take notice? Because I know I'm as guilty as anyone else. I think there's a lot of work to do. I think as we look at how the celebration and recognize in the palms how beautiful and amazing our planet is, and then let's use that to actually make a difference instead of getting to a point where we're crucifying for the second time Christ, and this time the beautiful place that he actually made for us. And that means that we're going to have to take a difficult look in the mirror. It means all of us are going to have to work together really hard. And us as first world nations who probably are listening to this podcast, we're the ones who are the most guilty. We are the Pharisees that have put Christ on trial. We are the ones who wanted him dead. We need to look in the mirror and really be certain on what we're doing. With much that has been given, much will be expected. We have been given much. Then are we doing the best that we possibly can to steward that for everyone? Or are we too worried about ourselves? So, we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science. And I hope this Holy Week is a deep and reflective Holy Week for you.